I've gone through periods of time where I exercise five, six days a week, sometimes seven. <laughs> and I think in the last years, I've had to go home because I just gave up twice. But it's also, it's a learning process. I think for, for folks out there listening, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just starting. And I just had a low blood sugar. Did I fail? I'm like, no, it's just a learning process and it takes time. And I always tell people, again, it has some missteps along the way and that's okay as long as you learn from it, right? So saying, okay, so today I went low. That means the next time I need to go in with a little bit less IOB or maybe a little bit more food on board. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. People with type 1 diabetes want to be active. We want to exercise. But if we're honest, exercise can be scary. High blood sugar during exercise, low blood sugar during exercise, and the unpredictability of it all can feel like a big black hole you're walking into, and it can become overwhelming. I get it because I've been there before too. So on this episode of the podcast, I brought in an expert to talk all about exercising safely with type 1 diabetes. Christelle Oram is the founder of Diabetes Strong, and she's a certified personal trainer with type 1 diabetes. And her work focuses on helping people with type 1 diabetes exercise safely and do whatever they want to do. I hope this conversation helps you to gain confidence that you can learn your patterns and exercise safely and confidently with type 1 diabetes. Here's my conversation with Christelle. Christelle, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So for those of you who don't know Christelle, I'm going to have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and especially your life with diabetes. All righty. Um, I'll try to make it short. <laughs> well, as you said, my name is Christelle. I've been living with type 1 diabetes since 1997. I was diagnosed at 19 years old. Um, and back then I lived back in Denmark. I'm born and raised in Denmark. Um, so that was where my, I was diagnosed, which is interesting because it's such a different diagnosis. I think than a lot of people who grew up here in the U S and gets diagnosed here because there's a whole thing about, well, okay, can you afford the doctor for that matter? Or where do you find a doctor in Denmark? It was very streamlined in the sense that I was sent to a diabetes center right away. I didn't really have to worry about, could I get in with it, take my insurance and all that stuff. So I actually had some, a really good initial diabetes education, I would say, sort of the basics. Um, and then moving along, I ended up working, my part of my professional career ended up being in diabetes in the sense that I worked for an insulin manufacturer and pump manufacturer, stuff like that. And then my my husband's work actually took me to the U.S. 12 years ago, and we've been living here ever since. Love it here, and it was really it was really interesting because this is my real diabetes life. Let's call it that. Really started when I moved to the U.S. because this is when I got involved with other people with diabetes. I got involved with the diabetes community, and it's also when I really started to amp up my exercise 
I started competing in fitness competitions and that sort of took me into the space of diabetes and exercise. Um, because when I started competing and prepping for that back in 2013, 2012, 13, um, there was not really a whole lot of resources out there online for us living diabetes about, well, how do you do all these things? How do you manage your blood sugars when you exercise? Uh, there were a few publications about marathons. I'm not a marathon runner. <laughs> I have no desire to run marathons. It's great that people do that. It's not for me. So those publications weren't really helpful for me. Um, so I am gifted with a very structured mind. So let me call it that. So I just started experimenting. I started to you know, apply my flair for structure to exercise, to figuring out, well, what do I do when I want to do cardio? Um, what do I do from a blood sugar perspective? What do I do when I want to lift weights? What do I want to, what do I do if I want to go in fasting? What if I don't want to go in fasting? So all these different components. Um, that also led to, I then ended up getting certified as a personal trainer. I actually trained to quite a few people. Um, and today I, I do work with quite a few people living diabetes in regards to helping them figure out all that stuff that I figured out back in the day. Um, but in, in a format so that they don't have to go through all the trials that I had because it, it took a little while to figure it all out. It's funny hearing you talk about that because you have a desire, just like the rest of us have a desire to feel in control and oh, yeah. feel like, like, feel like you can predict what your blood sugar is going to do at any mm. particular time. And that's especially important with exercise because with exercise, that's a place where all these variables come into play. And mm -hmm. the anxiety level increases, increases because people don't, don't know what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people, that means that they stop exercising or they, or they hold back on it, but that's not what you did. You, you dove in and you try to figure out, you know, how do I make the best predictions possible based on all these things that you've done and then share that with, with other people. Oh yeah. And I think a key word that you said there is like, try to predict in the sense that, you know, I don't get it right every time either. I think diabetes is one of those conditions where it's, I usually describe it, it's kind of a black box, right? There's a lot of stuff we don't know. We don't know, are we hydrated enough? Was our sleep of good enough quality? Um, are we stressed out? So all these different things, right? So that's part of the black box. That means that we can look at a lot of the variables, but like how much did I eat? How much insulin did I take? What am I doing with higher activity? And all of that it's kind of in our control, but then there's a large portion that's not. And that I think that unknown um, is, well, it, that unknown is what makes it so hard. It doesn't mean that can't be done, but I think as long as we approach it saying, hey, I'm not expecting perfection. I'm not expecting perfect blood sugars every time. Um, for a lot of people, hopefully that will take a little bit of anxiety out of it, a little bit of the uncertainty, right? But it's, Sometimes it's a moving target. I like to tell people they can influence their blood sugars and they can mm -hmm. influence their emotions, but it's very hard to control either one of those things perfectly. There's no way for me to say, Christelle, I want you to have a blood sugar of 123 uh -huh. in 10 minutes when our interview is over. Just, I mean, if that happens, it's completely random, um, but you can certainly influence it. You could take some insulin or you can eat right now, depending on what mm -hmm. your, where your blood sugar is to get yourself closer to that number, potentially yeah. maybe not in 10 minutes, but certainly in an hour. And the yeah. same thing is true for exercise. I'm curious for you, mm -hmm. you talked about 
you know, wanting to influence your blood sugars and making sure that you're able, able to exercise, given all these variables. Yeah. When things don't work out exactly as you want them to with your own blood sugars, yeah. what is your response to that? How do you, how, how do you feel about it? How do you think about it? How do you respond to it behaviorally? Um, it's interesting. Okay. So there's basically two, two outcomes, right? Either, you know, if, if it doesn't behave, there's, you go low or you go high. Um, so I think there is a certain level of irritation when it doesn't work, work out because usually it's like, okay, now I'm at the gym. I thought, you know, I thought I had it. <laughs> I thought I knew what I was doing and say like that. And then I show up and then either my blood sugar is low or it goes low fairly quickly. So those situations are annoying, but I know what to do. Right. In the sense that I always, I always have a focus on my IOB, my insulin on board. It's not something that's talked a whole lot about, which I think is a bit of a shame because that's the first thing I look at. I'm like, okay, I'm trending low. What is my IOB? So if I have a lot of insulin on board and I want to exercise and I'm trending low, then I know to eat something more substantial, like an apple or fruit, fruit strips or something like that. Right. If I have no insulin on board and I'm trending low, I might just have one or two glucose tabs. So again, then the analysis starts churning. Um, but, you know, of course, there's a certain level of irritation, as I said, because now I have to sit out for 10 minutes. It's only 10 minutes, though. So that's the other thing. But if you're in a time crunch and only have like 40 hour, forty minutes, half an hour to exercise, then it's annoying to have to spend 10 minutes. Um, I think I'm a little bit more relaxed with the high blood sugars because those I'm like, okay, dang it, it didn't work out, take insulin, and then I can continue my workout because I usually don't go. I mean, when I say high, it might hit 200, right? I'd say if you hit 350 or 250, you want to consider not exercising and go fix that. So it's it depends on where we're at in the landscape. I heard you say two things. I want to dive into a little bit more. Uh -huh. One is that you're, you get irritated. And of course you do. If you have to sit out, exercise, even for 10 minutes, that's annoying. Mm -hmm. I mean, it happens to me all the time and I, mm -hmm. I, I feel you, but you also said it's only 10 minutes. And so you're able to reframe that thought of, you know, this is going to be so awful. It's going to ruin the rest of my exercise or the rest of my day. And to be able to reframe it, if it's only 10 minutes is a great way of thinking about it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think I've had, again, I've gone through periods of time where I exercise five, six days a week, sometimes seven. <laughs> and I think in the last years I've had to go home because I just gave up twice. Right. Um, but it's also, it's a learning process. I think for, for folks out there listening, they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm just starting, you know, and I just had a low blood sugar. Did I fail? I'm like, no, it's just a learning process and it takes time. And I always tell people you're going to, I don't like the word fail. You're going to misstep. Let's use that word instead. You're going to have some missteps along the way. And that's okay. As long as you learn from it. Right. So saying, okay, so today I went low. That means the next time I need to go in with a little bit less IOB or maybe a little bit more food on board. And then you start to tweak. So it's a learning loop, right? So that's maybe another way of looking at that low blood sugar is part of a learning loop so that you next time can adjust, you know, your diabetes management and hopefully you'll have a more successful outcome. But the other thing you said, which I think is just as important <laughs> is that, you know, that if your butcher does go out of range while you're exercising, either low yep. or high, that you can handle it. Yeah. And I think that's critical because if you didn't think you could handle it, it would be much harder for you to even start exercising. And I mm -hmm. want to remind people out there that you can handle this thing. Yes. It's annoying. 
Yes, you prefer the, not to have low blood sugar during exercise. Of course you would, or a high blood sugar for that matter. But mm-hmm. remember that you have the ability to deal with it. You have the resources, meaning you have, hopefully you have glucose with you. You know what your IOB is. You have your brain, which is working all the time on this. You know what you're doing and that you can come out of this having learned something. And that's critical here. I agree. I agree. It's one of the, I mean, I'm still learning <laughs> it because our bodies change over time as well. Right. So I would say we can develop what I call a formula for exercise and diabetes, and we can tweak it for different activities, different times of day, but we have to also acknowledge that our bodies change over time. So it's not going to be static. So you can't expect necessarily to just say, okay, now I know my IOB has to be 1.5 and I have to eat like a sandwich before, and then everything will be good. It probably will for a long time, but then maybe you gain a little bit more muscle mass or you lean out a little bit or you get a little older. So all these things will impact you um, and you just keep tweaking, right? Yeah. And again, I think something that you said is really, really important is always bring glucose with you, right? Always bring glucose with you because again, we won't get it right every time and we want to have our safety safety net with us. Yeah. I think it's also important to remember that we learn through the process. Like I, I'll tell you when I work out in the morning and I, try, I tend to work out early in the morning, I know that I need to take a couple of units of insulin before I work out. I haven't eaten anything, but I know that my blood sugar will rate will rise mm-hmm. after cardio or during cardio. If I don't, and yep. every once in a while I'll forget, or I'll think to myself, eh, I don't need it this time. And every <laughs> time I kick myself saying mm-hmm. it, it, you know, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And I, I, I keep on getting fooled that I don't need that insulin when I know mm-hmm. I do. And I know that even if I my blood sugar is 100 when I take that insulin, I'm not going to go low because every time I go high. And when yeah. I do take it, my blood sugar stays stable over my exercise. And so I, have to, I remind myself of that. If I have to trust myself and trust my patterns, that it's going to be okay. And that if it's not okay. I, I work out at home. And so I can handle that. I can go to my refrigerator and get myself um, something to drink or have glucose mm-hmm. tablets in uh, where I'm working out. So yeah. And we can always have glucose tabs with us. They do not take yes. up any space, but I mean, and what do you say? It's also about patterns, right? It's about trusting your patterns. And I think that's one of the things whenever I work with someone who is very nervous about exercise, because of low or the potential of low blood sugars, right? I think there's some, several different reasons why we are nervous. One is that's what we're told by our doctors. That's what we read on in the online. That's what everybody always talks about, right? So there's one component of it. The other component is it might be through experience. You might, that might be your experience every time you try to go for a walk, every time you try to take, even take your dog out or vacuum for that matter, you have a low blood sugar, right? So I think the fear is rational in the sense that it's based on both of we being taught told I taught as well, I guess, and based on experience, right? But then it's about creating enough patterns where we change our behavior saying we either eat more or we take less insulin before for exercise. And then we start to see all of a sudden, hey, I don't go low every time. And then start developing that, you know, experience, used a better word. Uh, but simply by continuing to work on that formula, continuing to see that when we make those changes, we don't go low all the time. I think a lot of that fear can also be, it might not go away completely, but the the voice of the fear becomes smaller. 
Absolutely. You are able to expose yourself to the fear and able to see that when it happens, that you're able to still exercise and be no wish for the wear. And if you do go low when you're exercising, you're able to see that you recognize that and you can, you can deal with it as it comes. Mm-hmm. And that puts you in a position of power and control, maybe not over your blood sugars, but control over yourself and your ability to act when you want to, as opposed to letting your blood sugars and your fear and anxiety be the decider, whether or not you get to exercise today or not. Yeah. And one of the ways that, so I'm very visual in the sense that, you know, if I see something written down, same thing, if I, back when I went to exams, you think I'm not doing that, but like when I was in school, you know, I had to go to an exam, I would always write everything out because that's how I remember. That's how I also seeing it, getting it written down makes me remember. So what I often, you know, suggest that people do is write down your blood sugars, write down what's happening write down, you know, okay, this workout actually went well in the sense that my blood sugar stayed within a comfortable range. And by doing that, by documenting, first of all, you end up seeing patterns, seeing where you need to change your behavior, but also you start to see the successes. And I think that's really, really important because we have a tendency to forget. A lot of people are like, I go low all the time. We look at their data. It's like, no, actually, you know, you nailed let's say 50% of your workouts from a blood sugar perspective. And I think that's really, really important because again, that builds into this, the story that we tell ourselves about, I won't necessarily go low every time. You know, I have the tools that I can implement to reduce the risk of the lows. Um, so yeah, I, I find that works really well. How have you found that CGMs work for people who with exercise, both in terms of increasing anxiety and or reducing anxiety? It's interesting. And I saw that myself back when I started with my CGM um, is that, and I think it's the same thing when you start working out, it takes a little while to learn not to see that downward arrow and freak out. It does take a little bit of time. (laughs) Um, and to understand that it might go down now, but it won't continue. So once I stop exercising, for example, it will stop and it'll flatten out, right? So some people, and again, I did this in the beginning as well, will end up chasing their blood sugars in the sense that the second we see an arrow downward, start eating, even though there might not be a need for it. Um, same thing with the second we see it start rising, take a bit too much insulin. So I think it can definitely, until you until you get to the point where you learn that to not chase it, it's actually not super helpful. Um, but I would say the way that it can be really helpful is that if you have your alert set at a reasonable level, it can give you some peace of mind in the sense that you can just go work out. And let's say that you are not comfortable going below hundred milligrams per deciliter during exercise. Then you can just set an alarm for hundred. You don't have to look at it all the time. You know that the device will tell you when you hit the hundred. Um, so I think, well, I think CGM technology is brilliant when used yeah. right. And it can also help you see those patterns in much more vivid detail. You can see exactly when you're in exercise, your blood sugar starts to rise every morning, like for me. Oh, for sure. Or when when you fall, when you start falling, at what point during what types of exercise, to be able to kind of really put your behavior on top of those numbers in a clear way so that you can then have that information that you can act before it happens and have, you know, have that predictive mind. For sure. Yeah. I, and the, the way I usually describe it is that my CGM allows me to be proactive in my care. 
um, which I really, I mean, once you, you understand all the components, it, it's really helpful. So it's, but again, I mean, if you chase it a little bit, I heard someone tell me, this might be in a conference where you were there as well, Mark, is that in the beginning, you would put a piece of you know, paper or tape over the screen of the CDM because it's like, I need the inputs, but I don't need to be watching it all the time because this is not leading to a positive behavior right now, which I thought was really interesting. It's taking some of the super high tech and then very low tech solution to make it less, you know, <laughs> less negatively yeah, impactful. That's a, great, that's a great tip. And I think too much data can be overwhelming and kind of, and really increase the anxiety, but having the day and having the alarms and trusting the alarms mm-hmm. can really take that anxiety away. And knowing that if there's an issue, you'll know about it. Someone will call you or the, the alarm <laughs> will go off, I should say. Um, and you're going to be okay. And you can, that you can handle it when it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, we keep saying it's right. It's about learning. It's about learning your body. I think the way that I usually start is I usually, when I have these conversations with folks is I usually start with the basics in the sense that, okay, what is exercise? Exercise is not just you go, you put your spanks on and you go to the gym. It's also, it's all movement. It's everything that get your heart rate up. So it's well, going for a walk. We mentioned vacuum before. I think vacuuming was one of those that hit me. How do you say that? Hit me in the head. <laughs> really, I realized that I was always going low when I was vacuuming. And in the beginning, I was like, what the heck is going on? But it's because it's movement. It's you're walking around, you're moving around that, that um, vacuum. So you're kind of moving your whole body. It is cardio. It's like a low level cardio, but it is same thing with walking, right? Just walking your dog. So it's understanding that all movement has a, t- a component of exercise in it. If you could say like that and different types of exercise might impact blood sugars differently. To your point, different times of day can impact blood sugars and exercise differently. So starting to learn that fundamentals of how does different things impact you and now there are some some good online resources. So if people want to read more about it, um, they can do that. And then you take yourself and apply it to the theory, right? So the theory might say you tend we often go low. We often see blood sugar drop during aerobic exercise. We often see an increase with anaerobic exercise. Okay, just you knowing that means that then you can start applying. Well, okay, how does Mark react to aerobic exercise at different times of day, right? So yes, theory says that you most likely see your blood sugar drop, but you just told me that in the morning, you actually see an increase because of your hormones, right? So we take the theory and then we start applying ourselves on top and then we develop our formula. That makes sense. That's great and perfect advice. So Krista, (laughs) where can people find you? Well, people can find me on my website, which is called diabetesstrong.com. I am also on Instagram and YouTube. Facebook, all over the place. And it's all over under the name of Diabetes Strong. So that's the Great. brand. And I, will ma- and I will make sure that I put all that information in the show notes here so you can find Christelle um, on any of her channels whenever you want them. Well, Christelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and your insights here. And I think it was really a valuable conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a blast. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list 
for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, hop on over to Apple Podcasts, follow the podcast, and also leave a five-star rating and review. That helps me get the word out to other type ones who could really benefit from this podcast. Also, I always love hearing from my listeners, so please send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist. I love hearing your questions, your comments, and your feedback about this podcast. And finally, be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the podcast. And remember, type 1 diabetes isn't easy, but you can have an easier time with it. Bye for now.